Good morning, Lakeview Church. Man, it feels like we've been to church already. So God's working and moving, and it's exciting to see how God is working and moving. Uh, I want to just say a personal word of thanks to all of you who've been invested in 21 Days of Prayer. I want to make it really clear that 21 Days of Prayer is ending, but prayer is not ending at our church. You're, you should keep praying, um, but, but I want to just say thank you. Uh, we've had around 40 people gathering every morning, 6 a.m. during the week to pray. And I know some of you weren't able to be here at that time, but so many of you have expressed your commitment and the way that you've carried out that commitment during 21 days of prayer to pray, even though you weren't here in the building with us at that time. And I just wanna say thank you. I just believe that prayer is the thing that moves the church forward into what God has for us. And so the investment that you've made in prayer is greatly appreciated. We're coming into a season, as Kayla said, that uh, is a great opportunity for you to invite your friends, your family, your neighbors, coworkers, classmates to come and join us and be a part of what God is doing here. Uh, we try to create services each and every week that are inspiring to those of you who are already walking with Jesus and that are relevant and relatable to those of you who maybe are trying to figure out who Jesus is. And we try to do that every single week so that for those of you who are church people, you can invite your friends who maybe are new to faith or new to church at any Sunday, and they can come and they'll be welcomed and, and they'll be well received here, and we will embrace them and, and help them feel at home in our church. And we hope our services are relatable to them in that moment. But there are seasons and series that we do throughout the year that really are designed specifically to help those who are new to church or new to faith to really just uh, find a, a place here. And so uh, we've got one of those series starting next Sunday. It's a series that we're calling Extraordinary Relationships. A lot of times we think about relationships and we think about them as needing to go to the ER because they're in trouble, but we think that God has a different plan for relationships, that he's not, trying to, he's not just trying to have us live our lives with relationships that are just getting by. He actually wants us to have extraordinary relationships. And so during the month of February, we're going to be talking about the kinds of things that will move our relationships forward. And it's a great opportunity for you to invite your, your friends, your family, your neighbors, coworkers, classmates to come and join us, be a part of that. And as Kayla said, we're going to have invite cards. They look like this, and it just says, what are you doing on Sunday? And on the back, has got all the information about our church. We made them a little bit smaller this, this time because some of you have said, man, it'd be great if I could fit them in my wallet or fit them in that pocket. And, and so we listened, and so I'm expecting you to take even more today and hand them out. So in all seriousness, uh, I want to encourage you to just think about who are the two or three people that God would have you hand one of these cards to at some point over the next couple of weeks and just say, would you, would you join me at church? I'd love to have you sit with me at church and we can go out to lunch afterwards. Uh, just make sure that you don't take Keith Field's table at Casa Brava. If you take him out to lunch, save a table for Keith. He made me say that, okay? Because he wants to make sure he's got a table there. So, but but I, I'm serious. Find people that you can invite Bring them to church, and let's just see what God wants to do in this next season. 
Now, we're finishing up a a message series that we've been in in the month of January. It's a message series that we've called Inside Out. We've really been talking about how does God want to transform us at the deepest part of our lives and then let that transformation work its way out into our journey so that we become the kind of people who are fulfilling everything that God wants us to fulfill in this world. And today is the fourth installment in this series. We, we've talked about spiritual growth, how God wants to change us on the inside and help us to grow up into the strong people that God wants us to be. We talked about spiritual warfare That if we're going to become everything God wants us to be, we've got to know there's an enemy. He's coming against us, and we've got to take our stand against him. And then last week, we talked about spiritual community, the fact that as a church body, we have to come together in unity. We have to come together and do ministry, and we have to grow up into maturity. And if the church, the spiritual community that God's called us to be a part of is doing what it's supposed to do, we will grow up into everything that God wants us to be, and we will be positioned to do what God wants us to do. This morning, in this fourth and final installment of the series, I want to talk to you about our spiritual calling, our spiritual calling? What does God want us to do in the world? What does he want to do in and through our lives? And here's the big idea for today. The big idea for today is this, that that if we want to experience all that God has for us, if we want to live life to the full as Jesus intends, that comes from saying yes to the spiritual calling that God has placed upon each and every one of our lives. If we want to live life to the full, it begins by saying yes to the spiritual calling that God has for our lives. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come, Jesus said, that you might have life and you might have it to the full. The reality is is that there is an enemy who is against us. He's opposed to us. Even more specifically, he's opposed to what God wants to do in and through our lives. So God has this plan of who he wants us to become and what he wants us to do. And and if we could become that, if we could do that, we would be experiencing life to the full, the, the greatest life that we could ever imagine. That's Jesus' plan for our lives. But there's an enemy who's coming against us. And he tells us lies and he discourages us and he put obstacles and boundaries and and, and all kinds of things in our way that keep us from becoming who God wants us to be. But if we will say yes to God in every phase of the journey that I'm going to talk to you about this morning, if we just keep saying yes to God, God will move us into what he has for us and we will experience life the way God intends for it to be lived. So what I want to do this morning is look at a couple of these paragraphs in the book of Ephesians, which is the book that we've been studying throughout this series. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, I want to read these verses, and then we're going to kind of unpack them together to see what is it that God is calling us into as his people. This is what it says. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit that is at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. 
following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and his kindness toward us as shown in all he's done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And God, right now, before we go any further in this message, just asking, Lord, once again, that you would open our hearts, our minds, our souls to just receive everything that you have for us in these moments. Speak to us, Lord, for we are listening. We want to hear your voice and we want to follow what you're asking us to do. So we give you these moments now. In Jesus' name, amen. I think as we look at these Uh, words from Ephesians chapter two, there are really three aspects of God's calling. And I think all three of them relate to every single one of us. And, And as we walk through this message today, some of these you may think to yourself, I've already said yes to that. And, and if that's the case, just thank the Lord that you heard his call and you said yes and you've, you've taken that next step. But you might find one or more areas in this journey where you sense God asking you to take another step. And I just want to remind you, we are a next step community. The most important part of your spiritual journey is the next step that God is asking you to take. You can't take the one way down the road until you take the one that's right in front of you now. And so whatever God might speak to you today, just I'm just encouraging you to say yes and take that next step and watch what God will do in and through your life. But there are three aspects of this journey that we're going to talk about today. And the first one is salvation. Salvation. If you look at verses eight and nine, what you read here is a summary of the gospel, the summary of the good news of Jesus Christ, what God does in a human heart that puts faith and trust and belief in Jesus Christ. This is what it says. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Let's just be really, really clear today. Salvation is not something you did. It's something that God did for you. So you can't ever point to your life and say, look at, look at how spiritual I am. Look at how great I am. Look at how religious I am. None of that matters. Unless you are saying, look at what Jesus has done for me. Look at what Jesus has done in me. That's where it is at. You can't boast because you didn't do it. 
God did it for you. And you can only boast in him, which is exactly the point. Now, I think Paul does a wonderful job summarizing in two sentences the gospel. And many of you in this room who are already saved, you've already said yes to God's offer of salvation. You know the gospel. But there may be some of you here in this room who are newer to faith, or maybe you're just here for the first time, or maybe you're trying to figure out what this whole gospel thing even is about. So I want to take just a few moments in this message today to just lay out as quickly but as thoroughly as I can a presentation of the gospel, of what it means to be saved so that we're all on the same page. And for some of you, this will just be a reminder of what God has done in your life. And for others of you, this may be a moment in this service where God is calling you and inviting you to say yes to salvation. See, I think when you, when you try to understand the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ, it begins by understanding that we have a problem. And when I say we have a problem, I mean we all got a problem. Every single one of us. And the problem is called sin. Sin, if you read that word in the Bible, is literally a word that means to miss the mark. That God has a plan, a purpose, an intention for our lives. I think that plan is to live life to the full, to experience everything that God has for us. But human beings built into us is this rebellion. God wanted us to go this way, and we went this way instead. We decided to take a different path. We rejected what God had for us and we went a different way. And as a result, our lives are now aimed in the wrong direction and we are missing the mark. God wanted us to go here and we're going here. And there's not a single person, not anybody that you could name, not Mother Teresa, not Billy Graham, not the most righteous or religious person that you could think of right now who this does not apply to. All have sinned, Romans 3.23 says. All. And if you study the Greek, what you discover is it means all. <laughs> not a single person is exempt. All have sinned and all fall short of God's standard. And what is God's standard? It is holiness. It's living our lives the way God wants us to live, according to his law, according to his principles, according to his word. And not a single one of us can say, oh yeah, I do that. No, we all fall short of God's standard. And, and here's the thing, because God is holy and we don't live up to his standard, there's distance between us and God. We were designed for relationship with him, but there's distance now between us. And, and, and here's the thing, the distance that is between us and God leads us ultimately to a place where we have to pay a penalty. And the penalty that we have to pay is the penalty of death. Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death. 
Sometimes people say, how could a loving God send people to hell? And I would just say to you that God doesn't send people to hell because he's mean or because he's condemning. It's just the end result of a life that's lived in rebellion to what God has for us. God wants us to have life to the full and he's made that life possible, but we have rebelled against God. And if we don't accept the payment that God makes for us to bring us back in relationship and put us back on the right path, the only option we have is to pay the price ourselves. And rejecting God's gift of salvation is a decision to pay the price on our own. The wages of sin is death. But the beautiful part of the gospel, the reason we call it good news, is that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And that brings us to the second part of understanding the gospel. You gotta know there's a problem. The problem is sin, and it's a problem that's pervasive. We all have it, but there is a solution, and the solution is Jesus. Romans chapter five, verse eight, we're told God himself demonstrates the love that he has for each and every one of us. And just stop for a moment, think about that. God had a plan for us, and we said, no, thank you, God. We're going to do it our way and go our own direction. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were going our own way, rebelling against God in sin, he loved us enough so that Christ Jesus, his only son, would die for us while we were going away from God. God doesn't say, I'll demonstrate love for those who have turned back to me. No, God says, while they're lost, I love them so much. I want them so much to experience life to the full that in that moment, in that reality, God says, I'm gonna love them by sending my own son. And that's exactly what he does for us. And that's why Jesus comes and in John 14 can say, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me because God provided Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sin, to be the payment for the penalty so that we could cover our payment that we owed and be reconciled back to the Father. And this is why in scripture we are told that salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. It is only the name of Jesus. And I know that our world likes to say that there's lots of ways to God. And I want to just tell you that no matter whether you believe that or not, you got to come back to that verse I just read. Jesus is the only way. And you're welcome to put your hope in any other name that you want to. But there's only one name that can save you. And that is the name of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who paid the penalty for our sin. There's a problem and it's sin and that sin separates us from God and it leads to death. But the gift of God through Jesus Christ is eternal life. And so that brings us to the third part of the gospel, which is the response. You can't just sit on the fence once you know what I've just shared with you. You can't say one foot in and one foot out. I'll believe Jesus with this half of my life and not believe Jesus with the other half. You're either in or you're out. You have to respond. 
to this gospel. You have a problem and it's sin. Jesus has offered a solution to you and now you have to respond. And you say, what is the response? The response, if you want to, to accept everything that Jesus has for you, if you wanna be reconciled to God, if you want the payment that Jesus made to be applied to your life, you have to believe in Jesus. You have to put your trust in Jesus. That's what the scriptures tell us in John chapter one, verse 12. This is Jesus himself speaking. And he says, to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called the children of God. You see, once you know the problem and once you know the solution, you have to make a decision. Am I gonna receive him? Am I gonna put my trust in him? And if you do, you will become a child of God. Paul says it in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you declare with your mouth, that word declare literally means to confess, to say that, that what God has said is right and it is true. That you're gonna agree with God and confess that he's right. When you say Jesus is Lord, and you believe him in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That distance between you and God, because you've been going your own way, that distance will be eliminated, and you will once again be in right relationship with God, and you can walk with him again, and he will take your life and put it back on the right course and aim you towards the target that he intends for your life. Paul goes on to say, for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. And this morning, there are some of you here in this room and you need to say yes to salvation. You need to say yes to, to the, the solution that Jesus has made possible for your life. And at the end of this service, before I walk off this stage, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. I'm gonna give you a chance to say yes to Jesus. And so as you, as you just ponder for the rest of this message where you stand with him, I want you to really think about what's the distance between you and God? Are you walking your own direction right now? Are you in rebellion against what God's planned for your life? And are you willing to say yes? Because here's the thing, no matter how far you've gone down that road, no matter how far you are away from God right now, the distance gets closed with a yes. No matter how many miles you've gone down this road, when you say yes, God just welcomes you into his family in that moment. And all that distance is gone. And as 2 Corinthians 5 says, you're a brand new creation. You get a fresh start. You're born again in him. And I want to give you a chance to do that before this service is over. The first part of God's call for our lives is salvation. It all begins there. We have to come into relationship with God. It is the first step in the journey that God is calling us into. But it's not the only thing that God's calling us into. And for some of you, you've accepted the call of salvation, but some of you have missed this next part of the call. You thought that all God wanted for you was to be saved, to close the distance between you and him, which God wants to do, but that's the beginning of the journey. It's not the end. God has more for you, and the more that he has for you is the second part of his call, and that is transformation. See, God wants to save you, but you must also know that God wants to change you. God loves you enough to reach you right where you are, but he loves you so much to not leave you where you are. 
He wants to change you and, and renovate your heart and your soul and your mind. He wants to renew you and make you to look more and more and more like Jesus. Do you ever watch HGTV? Come on now, don't, don't, don't lie. This is church. How many of you watch HGTV? Come on. Look at all those hands. Holy cow. I got to admit, I, I like to watch HGTV. And, and there are lots of reasons. Some of it is just coveting, I have to be honest. I, I see some of these places and they talk about their budgets. What's your all-in budget? A million dollars. Of course it is, you know. <laughs> Family of five with three kids under the age of eight. Of course your budget's a million dollars, right? And it's just amazing what they do with these properties. But here's the thing. If you watch HGTV, even just for a couple of hours, what you'll see is there is a constant theme in HGTV. And the theme is transformation. They're going to take a property that looks one way, and they're going to make it look completely different. And they will take you through that property at the beginning of the show and they'll show you all of the deficiencies, all of the things that are wrong, the, the weird layouts, the, the, the water leaks, the problems with the property. And they're gonna show you all of that stuff and, and, and they're gonna make you realize what that property looks like before. And then they're gonna walk you through the show, which for those of you who have done home renovations, wouldn't it be great if you could do it in an hour? I mean, they, they say, okay, we're going to start. And then like 20 minutes later, it's done. It's like, this is amazing, right? They transform the property. They take it from what it was and they renovate it. They turn it into something brand new and it looks different. And then at the end of the show, when they give the big reveal, they do the before picture and then it transforms into the current picture, the after picture. Paul does this in Ephesians chapter 2. He gives a before picture and an after picture. The before picture is found in verses 1 and 2. You were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world. That's what you used to be like. That's what the property looked like at the beginning of the show. But look at verses six and seven. He raised us from the dead along with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and his kindness toward us as shown in all he's done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Before you obeyed the devil, by the way, that's what rebellion is. Just following what the enemy has for your life. You did that before you were saved. But now you're united with Christ, seated with him. You were dead in your sins, but now you're alive. Transgressions and sins were the way of living for you, but now you've been raised and seated and united with Christ. And now he can point to you and say, look at how good my grace is. I took something that looked like this and I made it look like this. That's what God does in our lives. 
But in order for that to happen to its full extent, we have to be transformed. And I want to be really clear. When you say yes to Jesus at the moment of salvation, there is a real change that happens in your life. In that moment, your sins are forgiven. Second Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a brand new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. So there's a real change that happens in that moment. But how many of you know that even after you say yes to Jesus and he changes you, he forgives you, he does all that work in your life that, that on Monday morning when you wake up, you still wanna do some of the things you did in the before picture. Maybe, maybe there's a few weeks that go by and you live on a spiritual high because you said yes to Jesus and it's all new and it's all great. But there's a moment when that friend calls you the one that you did all of those things in the before picture with and they invite you to go do those things again and there's something inside of you that wants to go back to the life you had before. And what I'm suggesting to you is that if you just ignore that, that tension of knowing that you are saved, but you're not yet everything God wants you to be. If you just try to ignore that tension and push it down, I'm telling you right now, you're gonna get stuck in your spiritual journey and you might be saved and on your way to heaven, but you are not living life to the full. God wants to actually change your life. He wants to set you free. He wants to make you a different person. He wants to take the very inner parts of your being and make it like Jesus. This is his plan for your life. And you see it over and over and over again in the New Testament. Take off the old self and put on the new self. Clothe yourself with love and mercy and compassion and grace. All the things that reflect the character of Christ. I mentioned 2 Corinthians 5, anybody who's in Christ, brand new creation. But if you keep reading just a few verses later, Paul tells us what the end of the journey looks like. He says that he made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. You see, God wants to transform us. He wants to make us holy. And you say, what does that look like? It means yielding to the Holy Spirit. Letting the Holy Spirit do his work in our inner being. That's why spiritual growth is so important. It means fighting against the enemy, taking our stand against all the lies the enemy calls out in, in us and, and says to us to try to keep us trapped and held back. We have to call out those lies and speak the truth of God because we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. That's why spiritual warfare is so important. And we need a community of people around us who are calling God's best out of us so that we can live a life worthy of the calling that we've received, not staying down here in a stuck place, but continuing to move towards full maturity. That's why the spiritual community is so important in our lives because God is taking us somewhere. He's not just saving us, he's changing us from glory to glory till we look more and more like Jesus. And listen, you need to know, I want this for you so bad. 
I pray for you all the time that God would just let waves of holiness sweep over our congregation and that the sin that you can't seem to break in your life, that you would find freedom from it. There are some of you who cannot stop looking at those images on your computer screen. And I just want you to know, I pray for you on a regular basis that God would give you freedom from that so that you can have the life God wants you to have. And some of you are struggling with addictions to, to medications and to, to drugs and to alcohol and, and to other things in your life that are trapping you and holding you back. And I keep claiming the blood of Jesus over your life that you would be set free from that because I want you to have everything that God wants you to have. Everything that Jesus died to provide for you, I want you to experience that in your life. God doesn't just want to save you. He doesn't want to just take you to heaven. He wants to change you and put the life of heaven in you on this earth so that you can represent him well. God calls us to salvation. God calls us to transformation. And thirdly, God calls us to mission. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, we're told that God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. God doesn't just want to save you. He doesn't want to just change you. He wants to use you to actually accomplish his purposes in this world. And there are two things I think you need to know about this call to mission. The first is this. You are called. If, you are, if you've said yes to salvation, you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to make disciples. If you knew the cure for a disease that a friend of yours had, would you tell them about it? If your friend was dying with a disease and they didn't know the cure and they were gonna die from that disease, but, but somehow you knew the cure, would you tell them? Or would you say, I wonder what they'll think of me? What if they reject me? What if they, what if they think I'm... I'm silly or foolish because, because I believe in this cure? Or would you just ignore all of that? And would you say, I don't care what they think about me. I don't care if they think it's silly or it's foolish. I don't even care if they reject me. I know the cure for what is wrong with them and I don't want them to experience the result of the disease that they have. And yet so many of us, knowing the answer to what ails the world, worry about what people think of us. We worry about being rejected. We worry about being ridiculed. We worry about seeming foolish or, or, or how they will treat us or if they will still accept us. And so we take this good news that we've received into our lives and we just keep it a secret. And we say, thank you God for saving me but I'm not telling anybody else about this. I just want to let you know, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been called to be his mouthpiece. And you don't have to like that. I would even dare say you don't even have to enjoy that. But you got to do it. Doesn't matter if your palms get sweaty and your mouth gets dry, you gotta just trust the Holy Spirit and be bold. 
Because you and I are called to take this message that we've received and share it with others who are in our network of relationships. And here's the thing. I know that you think of me as the pastor of this church and you think of our pastoral staff as the pastoral team, but here's the reality. And I pray this for you every day that every single one of you would recognize that you are a pastor in your relational network. That if you have Jesus in your life and you have friends, some of you have less friends than others, but we all have friends. If you have Jesus in your heart and friends, God has placed you in that environment to pastor those people. And some of your friends aren't being pastored very well. Because you know what they need, but you're not sharing it with them. And God has called each and every one of us to make disciples. As our culture continues to move in the direction it's moving right now, and by the way, I think it's going to keep moving that direction towards the secular. But that's okay, because when we read the Bible, we get to the end of times. It says that wickedness will increase, but the work of God will increase at the same time. So while our world moves in that direction, evangelism and making disciples will not happen primarily in a service or event like this one. It's gonna happen in the break room at your work environment. It's gonna happen in your living room when you invite your neighbors over. It's gonna happen at the restaurant when you take your friends out and, and you share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, every single one of us has to be mobilized in this day and age to make disciples. That's our mission. And in case you doubt that, I just remind you of the words of Jesus. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you all the way till the end of the age. Now, you gotta know we're called to make disciples, but secondly, you need to know that God has designed you to fulfill what I like to call your unique sweet spot, your personal sweet spot. You have a personality, and you have gifts and talents and abilities that perfectly match what God wants to do with your life. And that's what makes some of us business people and others of us workers in the service industry. It's what makes some of us teachers and others of us stay-at-home parents. It's what makes some of us at home on the construction site and others at home sitting behind a desk in the air conditioning or the heat, whatever the case might be. We all have different personalities and, and we all have different gifts and abilities and strengths and talents and all of those things take us into different environments in our world and we tend to think that church happens here and out there, that's something different. But what if church wasn't a place or a service or an event? What if we saw church for what it's supposed to be, the people? And what if we recognize that church is church all the time? So that when the service ends, church continues because you're the church. And you get to go be the church in that place where God has called you to be. This is why I believe it's important for every single one of us to strive for excellence in every part of our lives. 
Don't think, oh, I work in business and then I have to come work at the church to help the church do what it's doing so I can be spiritual. No, just be the best business person that God's asked you to be so that you can be his representative there in that place. We still want you to come to church and gather with us and worship God and help us grow to maturity. But that's just a little tiny part of your spiritual life. The bigger part is what you do out there. Find what God's called you to do and then do it. Which by the way, I'm just gonna make this my little small group table. Personal privilege as the one with the microphone right now. I got a small group that's gonna run this semester and we're gonna talk about two things. How do you make disciples and how do you discover your personal sweet spot? And at the end of that, you'll be equipped with the tools that you need to share your testimony, to share the gospel, and you'll have a better understanding of who you are and how God's equipped you so that you can bring your very best to the world around us. And you can see me at my real small group table right back there behind the camera and you can sign up today. Okay, commercial over. I wanna come back to those of you who need to say yes to salvation. Because there are some of you here in the room today who from the moment I shared the gospel, you recognized I'm the one who needs to say yes to that. And, and you might be wondering, how, how do I know if I am the one who's supposed to say yes? Well, the book of Revelation says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you sense God just knocking on the door of your heart right now, just know he's inviting you to say yes. He's inviting you to say yes. And so this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, I wanna be faithful to my word to give you an opportunity to respond to this call of salvation today. We all have a problem. All have sinned. All fall short of God's standard. And the wages of that sin is death. But thanks be to God, he has paid the price for our sin and he's made a way for us to have eternal life and all we have to do is say yes to him. And so this morning, not gonna embarrass you. I'm not asking you to come down front or stand. Just gonna ask you to raise your hand so that I can acknowledge and pray for you and with you as you take this step in your journey. But this morning, if you wanna say yes to Jesus, all I want you to do is just raise your hand right where you're at, and I want you to do that right now. Just raise your hand right where you're at if you wanna say yes to Jesus for the first time. You've never done that before. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? Anyone else this morning? I see your hand. Anybody else? For those of you who raised your hand, just pray this prayer after me this morning. You can pray it quietly right where you're at. God, I recognize that in my life, I've rebelled against you. I've gone my own way. And I confess right now that, that I'm tired of going my own way and I'm done going my own way. I repent. I turn around. I choose God now to go in your direction and I'm asking you right now to save me. I'm asking you right now to forgive me. I'm asking you to, to, to wash me clean and make me a new creation and welcome me into your family. And God, I thank you for forgiveness, for salvation, and for life change. And I ask God that you will guide and direct my steps so that I can live the life that you have for me to live. And God, I thank you right now for saving my soul.
And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Congregation, can we celebrate what God is doing this morning? Kayla, come and close out our service.